push record. And uh, today we're going to kind of close out the love verses of 1 John. And uh, I think you'll see that John is, he's an, excep- he's an exceptional man. He's about 80 or 90 years old. He's this really old guy. He's walked with Jesus. He, he, he at some stage, uh, he was at a meal with Jesus and placed his head on Jesus' chest. He was close to Jesus, one of Jesus' closest friends. Uh, this is year, decades later after the cross, after Jesus has been raised from the dead, after Jesus has ascended to heaven, after many of those disciples that walked with Jesus have been persecuted. This is decades after that, and John is writing to Christians, and he's become this incredible grandfather in the church. Um, this is the man who, at one stage, was called a son of thunder. He, he was just so ambitious about advancing in the faith, and now he's this grandfather of love. And um, so it's, pre- it's precious to hear his word speak to us. So I'm going to read to us the verses. Hopefully you've had time to get there. I'm going to read 1 John 3, verse 15 to 18. Um, and then there's going to be a bunch of slides this morning. I'm going to try to divide it up uh, into two parts that I hope w- w- I'll do well. The first part is going to be about 15 minutes of uh, Greek language study. And then we're going to do about 10 minutes of understanding the text. Uh, and I think you'll see why it's important in a second. Um, So, it says, Everyone who hates his brother or sister is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, or agape, that we learnt about that, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers and sisters. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word, or talk, but in deed and in truth. The gospel is the fuel you need to live a life of love. So we're looking at living this Christian life of love, and you're going to find out that it's not by uh, your own striving or your own effort or someone whipping your back, making you do good things. Um, it's the gospel motivates us towards loving one another. And in case I forget this, because I forgot this a few times, and, and, but I just want to say this at the beginning, and I hope I remember to say it at the end. There are a lot of people in this small community that love incredibly well. Um, and, and we can see it. And hopefully as we've spoken about love, you've been able to think of experiences you've had where people, it, it, maybe not even in this church community, but other, other Christians, brothers and sisters, have loved you in incredible ways in godly ways that have encouraged you and helped you. Um, but I do just want to say, I, I think that uh, we as a community, and I don't want to say, I want to take myself out of that for a moment, you as a community, we do this love very well. Um, but there's more for us. It's kind of like the infomercial. We do love well, but wait, there's more. Um, and that, that's where we're taking it from. So we've understood love and we've understood uh, what, what we're talking about in love, we know filial love, uh, friendship love, we're not talking about that one. We understand that there's family love, storge love. I think there may be a slide for this. We're not talking about that one. We understand that there's eros love, romantic love. We're not talking about that one. We're talking about agape love, the love of God that He puts into our hearts, deposits into our hearts. It's not humanly possible, but God gives us this agape love. It's how God loves us. It's undeserved love. All the others make sense. All the other loves are, are, are in, are in a way, earned. 
you, you have reasons why you love your friend. You have reasons why you love your family. You have reasons why you, you have romantic love for someone. There's a, some sort of an attraction or some sort of reasoning or logic. But agape love doesn't. It just loves. It loves because God is love. It's His character. It's His nature. As Joshua wonderfully uh, taught, it's kind of, it's like one of His principal or His principal characteristic is that He is love. And so as we get to know God and as God makes us like Him, we get the capacity to love others like Him. It's unearned, undeserved, which means you can love your enemies, you can forgive your enemies, you can want the best for those who hurt you. It's not, it, it's not, it doesn't have human reason. It's the love of God working through your own life. And so you can even be surprised by it, stunned by it, amazed by it, thrilled by it, because it's something of God's character and nature working in through, through you. Um, and so we know we're talking about that. Whenever we say love, we know we're talking about that agape love, not, not any kind of natural love. But what about life? Because John talks so much about that over here. Talks so much about life. And so today we're going to do a, a, a quick word study on what, what are we talking about when we say life? Because in the Greek, John uses three different words. The New Testament has four different words. So what, what, is, what are we saying? And you'll see it's quite fun, I think. <laughs> Firstly, uh, are we going to be able to have the slides? If, if we can, it would be great. Uh, it will just help you see where we're going. Um, firstly is the word anastrophe. Is that up? Oh, no. Uh, Josh just knows that. So le- let me tell you quickly about this word, anastrophe. Can you say it with me quickly? Anastrophe. You all are brilliant at this. Paul tells the Galatians about this. He says, you know about my former way of life, or my former manner of life, or my former conduct. That's a nastrophe. You know about, uh, it's a way of life. So Paul tells the Galatians about it. Paul tells the, the Christians to put off the old self, which belongs to the former manner of life, and to put on the new self. Do you, do you know that in Ephesians? You take off your old manner of life. You take off your old conduct. Take off your old way and uh, put on the new self that you have in Christ. Paul encourages, uh, Peter, sorry, encourages wives in uh, his letter. He encourages wives with unbelieving husbands. And he says, you can win them over by your manner of life, by your conduct, by the way that you live. So he encourages them to live uh, respectable and gracious lives. And he says, your unbelieving husbands will watch your way of life and they might be drawn towards the gospel. Um, amazing text. Peter says that religion is an empty way of life. Uh, James says that wisdom and understanding are shown in your manner of life. Does this person have wisdom and understanding? We can see it in their manner of life. Uh, Paul tells Timothy to set an example to the believers in, well, in five things, but one of them is his manner of life. Set, set the example, uh, uh, um, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, but set an example to the believers in speech, in love, in faith, in hope, in purity. Uh, the, in, the, in that life there that he has, there's this, this phrase, anastrophe, manner of life. Let the believers look at your conduct, Timothy, and learn from it. Let you be an example to them. Just as Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, uh, follow me as I, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Uh, he says to Timothy, be an example in your manner of life. Um, then, so anastrophe refers to the conduct of life, how, how you go about living, what, we, what is visible to all of us, the decisions you make, how you live, how you talk, how you behave, how you act. And there's an old way and there's a, there's a kind of a new way that we have, a new self that we have in Christ, right? And I don't want to stay too long on this one because um, 
John doesn't actually say it at all. So we, this is an important one for us. But it is important to know that this manner of life is important to the New Testament writers. They basically saying this is a, our manner of life is important for all Christians, one, for two reasons. Why? The way that you live as a Christian is, number one, an example and an encouragement to other Christians. Number two, it's an evangelistic way. It's a way of, of non-believers being able to be drawn towards Christ. In other words, if, if your conduct is just awful, horrible, that, that you're going you're to hamper people understanding the goodness of God. But if you live a godly life, if your manner of life is in line with what you believe, you will help people understand the goodness of God. You, you won't save them, but you will help draw them towards the gospel. As well as your brothers and sisters, your conduct, you can encourage one another by the way you live your life. Have you ever sat down with a really old person that's walked with Jesus for like 50 years and the only thing they care about in the whole world is Jesus? They don't care about anything else. They don't care about health. When they're sick, they don't even ask you to pray. They kind of hope that they'll go be with the Lord. They just, not, not because they're depressed, because they just love Him so much. My, my, my Oma is a horrible person to speak to as a grandson, because she's my grandmother, sorry. Uh, because whenever I speak to her, all she is longing for is to see the Lord. Uh, not so much to see my face, uh, but to see the Lord. Um, and so you, you sit down with these people that are gracious and loving and amazing saints and you walk away from them and you, you can't even remember what they said, but you feel different, right? You, the next person that you meet is the luckiest person to bump into you because you're just going to treat them with so much grace and kindness. It's just going to overflow from you. Why? Because you've just sat in the presence of this saint that just loves God and just oozes godliness. Then you walk off to someone else and, and the little bit that you borrowed from them oozes off. It quickly finishes and then the next person, uh, it's run out already. But you know what I'm talking about, right? And, and this is this way of life. This is this conduct. It's an encouragement to one another. We can stir each other's faith up by the way that we live. We can also discourage each other by the choices that we make. Okay, so John doesn't use one of these words, that word, so we, we, but these, the next three John does use. Um, the, the second one is bios. Can you say bios? Bios. This talks about the possessions that are under your authority. So John says that if any Christian has worldly goods, that's this word life in, in uh, 1 John 3.17. Uh, this life that you have in this world, the goods that you have in the world. Uh, John calls it elsewhere, he calls it the pride of life. Alongside, um, he puts that alongside loving the worldly things. So you, 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 be, you get an effect, your life in this world becomes the most important thing to you. Uh, not the things that God has for you, but the things that you have in this world. Um, Jesus used it when he said that the prodigal son squandered the father's property. In other words, the, the prodigal son uh, spoiled the father's life. Not the father's living life, but the father's possessions, the father's things. The prodigal son got rid of all of them and wasted them. Jesus said that the poor widow gave of all of her life, all of her living, all of her possessions. She gave two coins. That's all she had. Jesus said she's given far more than anyone else because she's given all of her uh, living possessions, her living things. Um, and so bios are those possessions that are under your authority. You might have much, you might have little. It doesn't matter. All of us have an all. These are all my possessions. 
and we can, those possessions are, are those things that can be our securities, they can be our identities, they can be the things that we trust more than, than God, they can be the things that we protect, white-knuckle-fisted, they can be the things that we believe that we've earned, that we've worked hard for, it's our right to them. Um, those are this bios, this idea of bios. Uh, thir- third word is suke. Can you please put up suke? <coughs> Who, yeah, please. Can you say suke? Great. Uh, this in the in the Greek the Greek culture the ancient Greek culture there was this idea of soul a, a psyche that's separate to the body a soul, but uh, that's not the biblical understanding. The biblical understanding was the whole person, the whole human, and so you see in our society today we would if if I said if we said right now if we put a little survey out. And we said, describe what the soul is. Many of us would be confused, don't know how to say it, because we'd be thinking like the Greeks and go, oh, it's like somewhere in me, but it's not me. It's apart from me. I think when I die, my soul goes to heaven, but I don't go to heaven. I'm not. Uh, this isn't how it is in, in the text. And the biblical idea of soul is it's the person. It's the human is the, the suke. Um, and so Peter calls those who were rescued from the flood, he says, and there were eight sukes, eight people. That were rescued. Uh, John writes that the merchants in Revelations, he says that the merchants traded w- for suitcase. The merchants traded for people. Jesus said, Do not worry about your suke. Do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body. So Jesus thinks that your suke gets fed and gets watered, and then he says about your body what you'll wear, and your, your body has clothes. But, but it's not this kind of abstract out there thing. It's your life. It's you. It's your being. It's your humanity. It's your person. Paul said, I serve God with all my suke by spreading the gospel in Romans. Paul said to uh, Luke writes that uh, Paul is preaching much longer than I, I do. And um, I know it's hard to believe, but he did. And some man fell out of a third story window. He fell out and, and the text says he died. But, and, and, and then he was kind of brought back to life and then Paul carried on preaching. Um, and, and what Paul says is, they go downstairs and they go, look at this man, and Paul says, Paul's not a doctor, Paul, Paul is a, a theologian, Luke's a doctor, Luke's writing Acts, but he's not the one who checks the guy, Paul does, Paul says, don't worry about him, his suke is still in him, his life is in him, the person has not left him, he, he's, he's, his humanity is here, his person's here, he's going to be fine, God's going to raise him from the dead. Um, and then Jesus said, those who find their suke will lose it, but those who lose their life, suke, for my sake, will find it. Think about that in terms of what Jesus is saying. If your person, if your being, if your humanity is about yourself, you, you lose the life that God has for you. But if your being, your person, your humanity is about Christ, it's laid down at the foot of the cross at Christ, Jesus says, you will actually find the person that He's made you to be. If you want to find yourself, go lay yourself down at the feet of Jesus and He will find the you that God made you to be. But if you can think that you can do it on yourself, by yourself, you will never find who God has made you to be. So suke is the whole person, the thoughts, the will, the feelings. And then fourthly, zoe. Can you say zoe? Zoe, zoe. you guys are so good at this. It's like you've practiced. Zoe is life. Jesus gives life to all mankind, Luke writes in Acts. So any life that has been had, any God, so in Genesis, God gave people life. God gave people Zoe. Uh, but this is, 
then in the New Testament, it becomes a little bit more distinguished because now we've had the fall, we've had death. The opposite of Zoe is death. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is Zoe, eternal life. The gift of God is not uh, any of these other words. The gift of God is not possessions. It's not bios. The gift of God is not um, what's our suke. It's not your humanity. It's not uh, just a lifetime. The gift of God is not an, astro- uh, an astrophe, uh, a way of living your life. The gift of God is zoe. It's eternal life. It's life itself. It's living. And um, Paul, uh, so there's, there's Jesus, sorry, then in Matthew, Jesus talks about eternal zoe. And then John says, or, or sorry, Jesus says the way to eternal zoe is narrow. But John becomes especially attached to the idea of zoe and teaches a lot about it. John teaches that uh, future eternal zoe, future eternal life may be experienced in the present through Jesus. So not only is eternal life what we, what we are going towards through faith in Jesus, but John teaches that you can begin to experience some of that eternal life now uh, in Jesus. Jesus says, whoever believes his words will not be condemned. They have crossed over from death to Zoe. Whoever has placed their faith whoever, in Jesus Christ uh, has moved from a position of death to eternal life already. Even though they may look the same, even though their lifetime may be the same in this world, even though their possessions are the same, even though their manner of life may no, not look immediately different. They have, mu- they have moved from e- a death to eternal life. A transition has been made uh, in Jesus. And Paul wrote that we may walk in newness of Zoe. So for both John and Paul, eternal life was, uh, was, only to be had, was not only to be had in the future, um, but it was only to be had fully in the future. So for, for John, eternal life was something he wanted the Christians to begin to experience now, to begin to live in now. Uh, but, but, but for both Paul and John, it was something that was going to only be um, realized, fully realized in time to come. And why is this? Well, uh, John wrote in his gospel, I, I, I don't, let me just turn there quickly. Sorry, just talking about the present, just for one more minute. Uh, it's, it's an interesting verse about experiencing eternal life now. Um, John 20, verse 31, he, he writes, uh, But these are written, so now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book in John's gospel. But these are written, what, he, what John did write, so that you may believe in Jesus, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have... Guess what he says? Zoe. I've written, the whole reason I've written this gospel is that you might believe in him and begin to have Zoe, have eternal life. Move from death to life and uh, get on with it in a way. And then, um, John, what is the reason that Paul and John think that we'll only begin to have uh, full eternal life in the time to come? Here's the reason. Because Ultimately, the Bible says that Jesus is the bread of life. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the author of life. Jesus is the life of the believers. Jesus is, has the power of indestructible life. I'm just quoting verses from the Bible. These are all Zoe verses. Jesus has the words of life. And it is Jesus who has authority to grant eternal life. 
So when are, are you going to fully experience the eternal life, the eternal Zoe, the life you have in Christ? At the very same time that you come face to face with Jesus again. It's, it's just such a wonderful promise that's waiting for us. We can experience some eternal life now, but we won't fully experience it until we see Jesus face to face and then everything will change. Okay, so let's read uh, the, the verses again with these, verse, with these words put inside. Everyone, I think there, this, there, Brian, I think this may be there. You're doing a great job. Thank you so much. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life, uh, sorry, e- eternal zoe abiding in him. By this we know agape, love, that he laid down his suke for us. And we ought to lay down our suke for the brothers and sisters. But if anyone has the world's bios and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's agape, love, abide in him? Little children, let us not agape in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. So John teaches that uh, Jesus gave his suke, his life, his, his humanity, uh, to, so in order that we might have Jesus's Zoe, his eternal life. But now that we have Jesus's eternal life in us, we can lay down our, our humanity. We can lay down our persons. We can lay down our suke. We've got the life of God in us. We have eternal life. It's already begun for us. Not fully realized, but that's what we have. So we can freely, joyfully, easily lay down our lives because Christ has laid down his life for us. We can lay down our lives for, the, for those brothers and sisters. And how does John say we do that? The way that we do that is by giving of our bios to those who are in need. By sharing our possessions. You, you, an act of laying down your life is sharing the possessions that you have with those who are in need. So that they might have a, a, the life that they need, a suke. I know, the, I know that sounds super confusing. I can hear it. But I, I don't want us to just keep saying life, 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 life. I want us to see that in John's mind, there's differences in what he's saying. None of us earn eternal life. None of us uh, deserve eternal life. We have it because Jesus laid down his suke, his humanity, his person. He did it for us. And when we do that, we don't save anyone. We don't give anyone eternal life. We don't do what Jesus did. And we don't even lay our lives down on the cross. The way that we do it, practically one of the ways, is just sharing of our stuff with those who are in need. And in doing that, they get to have some measure of life that they need. Uh, Food, water, clothing. So, number one, three points. This is really where the sermon begins, now that our word study is finished. Did you, do you all understand the words? Yeah. yeah, the words make sense? Okay. Poor Stash and Josh, that makes sense. Great, thank you. You can talk to them if you don't understand. <laughs> Three points uh, in, in just drawing this towards a, a close. Gospel, motivation, gospel is the motivation and the model for our lives. Paul, uh, John says, by this we know agape that he laid down his life for us. There is nothing in, in God's teaching that ever says, you make the first move. That ever says, step up to the plate. That ever says, this is required, this is how you ought to be. 
The gospel says, this is, as, this is what's been done for you. Have you. Do you know it? Have you received it? Have you heard it? That's why in our Unite class, one of the questions that always comes up is, when do you guys take up an offering? And we haven't. Today's, you know, today's our church's ninth birthday. Happy birthday to, to us. Yeah. Thank you, God. Nine years. Some of you have been here for nine years. Um, sorry, there's so many jokes running through my mind right there. <laughs> to, I, and I'm trying not to. I was looking at Chris. That was the problem. I was looking at Chris and a bunch of jokes. Uh, I need to keep focused. I don't remember what I was doing. Okay, so the gospel says, this is the answer. Once you under, so with, with money, it's once you understand the generosity of God, once you understand His heart and that He gave His only Son, and once that touches and shapes your heart, giving won't be a problem for you. But we can design a method of, of, I mean, we can just get you giving, but we won't be sure if your heart's been discipled. Let's first get the gospel to your heart, and then we'll teach you about practical giving. And the same over here with the beer. Let's get to, John goes again. See what's been done for you. This is what's been done for you. Christ has laid down his life for you. Get that in your heart. It's the most precious truth that, that you can ever hear in this lifetime. And that motivates and drives any laying down of your life, any giving of your stuff comes from, if someone says, why did you do that? The answer is not, I didn't need it. The answer is not, I just had a lot of it. The answer is not, well, I had three and I only used one. The answer is, because Christ died for me. That's the answer for the Christian. All the other answers, there's kind of some glory in it for us, right? It's like, you know, I'm just being benevolent. I'm just passing on things I don't need. My excess, one man's trash is another man's treasure. That, those, that might all be true, but for the Christian, it's, I can't wait to pass something along because Christ has died for me. I hope my life can be spent on something or someone else. And so it's, hey, Josh, why did you give one of your chickens to Chris? He doesn't go, well, because actually it was causing a problem and, and pecking Levi and it wouldn't lay eggs and it wakes everyone up. And he, because Christ has died for me, it's easy to open up my hands to others. Listen to what Kendall uh, Eaton writes about Jesus' motivation for sacrifice. Eaton says, Jesus laid down his life, quite literally, foregoing the privilege of further time in this world, handing his life over when he was still in his 30s. Uh, pretty soon I'm going to be out of my 30s and I'm still alive and kicking. It's, it's now, when I was younger, I couldn't, I was like, yeah, Jesus lived a pretty old life. He was 32. Now I'm beginning to think, Jesus died quite young. He gave up his life quite young. He sacrificed comfort. He left aside opportunities for self-advancement and self-advantage. He humbled himself. He laid aside the visible glory which he had in heaven. Think of the, uh, of the same, the insult of the cross, the shame, sorry, the insult of the cross. Think of the physical side of it. This is of, uh, this of the spiritual, think of the spiritual side of what happened. Jesus was in some way abandoned <coughs> and temporarily lost his lifelong fellowship with the Father. What was it that led Jesus to be willing to do all of this? It was love, sheer love. Love is sacrifice. It is sheer willingness to pour oneself out for the sake of the other person. Let's say it this way. Agape is sacrifice. 
agape is willingness to pour one's suke out for the benefit or the sake of the other person. And this is what John is teaching us. So Jesus motivates us. He's done that for us. There's an example that you have. The Bible's all about an example. That, that, you know, be an example to one another. And why can Paul say that? Why can uh, others say that? Because we have Christ as our example, as our life. Number two, the godly compliment. I'm saying compliment rather than encouragement because encouragement doesn't mean so much in our culture, but compliment does. Compliments are, are really nice. Most of us still like compliments. Encouragement is a bit abstract nowadays. It's compliments really the way we say encouragement. God actually thinks that we can love like Jesus. That's a pretty big compliment. Just think of yourself. If, if your faith is in Jesus, and, and almost every week there's non-Christians here, if your faith is in Jesus, just think about this. God thinks that you can love like Jesus. I don't know, I know me, and that's a pretty big compliment from where I think I am. And God is, is not unreasonable. In other words, God has a lot more faith for you and I than we have. And we simply have to start believing the things that God believes about us. But what a compliment that God thinks that you can love like Jesus. What a compliment. What hope God has for your life and my life. He doesn't believe that Mark, me, is stuck in self-centeredness or fear or stuck in living for approval or in accolades or making something of myself or... Uh, making someone proud or advancing my career or taking every opportunity before that comes before me. God doesn't believe that I'm stuck in that. God has a bigger dream for me and He believes that He can lead me to love like Jesus. That's amazing. Number three. So number one is there's a gospel motivation and model. And number two is that there's a godly compliment. Number three is there's a fatherly assurance. John says, little children, let us. Don't let those words pass you. Little children. I mean, he's talking to adults, but he's 90 years old. He can call anyone he wants a child. <laughs> little children. So a term of affection. And children is a term of family. He's assuming that he's talking to Christian brothers and sisters. Little children. But those aren't the words that grab me. The words that grab me are the next two. Let us. Hold on, John. You, you've gone from being the son of thunder when you walked to being this grandfather of love. You've written go a gospel. You've written three books, 1 John, 2 John, not at the time, but 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. You you've had this uh, revelation, uh, this dream. of, of you've, you've, you've put your head on Jesus' chest. Uh, John, you can't include yourself in learning to love. Surely you've attained the goal. But John doesn't say, little children, you. He says, little children, let us. Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. In other words, John includes himself in living a life that's able to know God and love God and not love others practically. 
And John says, little children, all of us, everyone, including me, let us actually do what we believe. Actually do what we say. Actually let the love of God come through our lives to one another. Let's not just talk about it. Now maybe he's just humble, I don't know. Or maybe he just understands the grace of God. That he never has to arrive. He can always be in a place of growing to be like Jesus. Three points. How do you... How do you um, How does John say we can do it? And, and I'm going to be a couple of minutes, and then we're going to take communion. Number one, he says, num- number one, we have to see in community. That brothers and sisters, we've got to be in each other's lives. Because he says, if you see something, but you do nothing about it. This isn't just giving to charity. This isn't just giving to missions. This isn't just, this is life on life, shoulder to shoulder, tactile. You know why? Because that's way harder it's way messier. It's way more complicated. It's way more ongoing. There's nothing wrong. Sorry, don't think, I'm, not, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with sending money to uh, countries that are in need or people that are in need or having compassion. We have a compassion kid. And there's nothing wrong with it. It's great. Help as many people as you can. But what John is saying, that you see one another. You're in each other's lives. You're in each other's homes. You're in each other's workplaces or wherever you can be with each other. You can see stuff when it's happening. Then you can respond to it. When you see it. Number two is saying, use what you have. You don't have unlimited resources. You aren't God. You're not the savior of this person's life. When you lay down your life, you're not going to raise them from the dead eternally. When you lay down the life, the best you can do is give some of what you have to help them along. So we're limited, but we get to be, as they said, the kids said, we get to be superheroes, small s. In other words, we just get to help each other out. Once we see something, we get to respond to something. And that's why I was trying to say earlier, I think this church is great at it. I know of situations, you know of situations happening in the community, and you're involved, you're helping, you're offering, you're giving. That's this. It's costing you. There's things you can't do or can't buy or can't have or time that you'll never get back because of the giving that you're doing. John's saying that's laying down your life in love. And you're doing it. Many of you are doing it a lot. There's incredibly uh, loving people in this community. And thirdly, he says, oh, sorry, he doesn't say, but thirdly, it's about, uh, do it in word and in deed, he does say. Be creative and imaginative. Do it in word. It means you have the license to use your imagination. You have the license to use your creativity. How can we bless that person? How can we get involved in that need? What can we do? Uh, we, I was having a conversation, and Malcolm said so well that this week. He said, loving isn't hearing about a need and saying, I'll pray for you. <laughs> I mean, I, it's a little bit convicting, though, because I think I say that all the time. That can be part of, but if that's where it ends, that, that's not what it's talking about. Loving is saying, I'll pray for you. That's obvious. But how can I step into your situation and, and help out? Of what I have, time and stuff, what of it can I, can I lay down and, and participate in, in your life? And it's not fifth gear all the time. This is lifetime of walking in community, sharing, giving, loving. 
And why don't, we, why don't we like getting involved? Because it takes from what makes us special. It takes from what makes us secure, what we feel we deserve, or what we trust more than God. So it's hard. But the gospel, what Christ has done for us, is the fuel for a life of love. As we come to the communion table this morning, I want us to come as artists, if we 